Finaferwards did nothing to uh, make you feel enthusiastic, rightfully so. You know, he he had he said things about how we played the worst possible defense we possibly could, and they just happened to kind of lose. Um, but yeah, I just think that it's weird to come away from a game like that, big win. All objective metrics suggest that it was a big thing. You know, they were a fantastic defense, all that stuff. But just come away from it kind of feeling like, huh, instead of just total excitement and jubilation. I mean, I still, I poured a a glass of Angel's Envy, which I really love Mm. uh, after the game and kind of celebrated. But yeah, I don't know. I just, it it felt strange. I don't know if you, if you experienced that at all. Uh, I, well, watching the game, I got to a point, I guess, late second, early third, where I was quite perplexed by the play calling. Um, It was heavy run, um, almost ran the football 49 times. Um, I thought that Matt Corral had a ton of success early when he was throwing the football. Arkansas was really hanging back and giving a big cushion. I thought that they would try to uh, really work the quick game and uh, try to get them off balance. But it, Jeff Levy and Lane Kiffin and uh, Jake Thornton as well must have saw something on film or they were seeing something live during the game that was giving them the warm and fuzzies on running the football because they were just hammering inside zone, mixing in some outside stuff just to keep them honest. But, I mean, they were just heavy dose of Henry Parrish, Snoop Connor, and then Matt Corral ran it 15 times. Most of them were scrambles. Not all of them were design runs, but um, almost ran for 324, 6.6 yards a carry, um, and five touchdowns. So um, outside of that, though, honestly, like it, it, I felt like it, the game went almost, I wouldn't say exactly like I thought it would. I thought it was going to be a shootout. I thought it was going to hit the over and then some – but Arkansas hung around. Um, I, I thought they would kind of fade down the stretch because I thought that Ole Miss would have a little more fi- firepower offensively. But the defense, and I, I guess another week of – I'd have to go back and look and see what the yards before contact statistic was for this one. Again, I thought that they were in position most of the time to make plays, but just the tackling has just gotten to where it's so poor. Um, but – yeah, I mean, I think obviously a two-point conversion to win it's going to be pretty nerve-wracking for anyone. Um, I mean, I thought as soon as Arkansas started driving at the end there, I was telling the folks I was with, I said, if, if they score here, they're going for two, or at least I would. I wouldn't I wouldn't play for overtime. So let's actually talk about that real quick. But, but, uh, and then I, I think we could sort of go, walk through the offense and the defense, that sort of thing. But that decision to go for two, I was actually – if I were an Arkansas fan, I would have not liked the decision to go for two. Um, I mean, certainly, like hindsight, it's obvious that you know it would have been good to kick. But but mm-hmm. uh, but even going in, like I was thinking, um, you know, typically I know that there is a lot of uh, the typical wisdom is that you're on the road, you're in a hostile environment, let this one play decide it instead of having to go in a slug fa- slug fest back and forth uh in in this the oddity of college overtime but i actually thought that um you know if we if we look at the at the statistics so far in the game 
Arkansas was eight for eight in the red zone um, and uh, on, on touchdowns, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and Ole Miss was three for three, but just scored from far, so it didn't matter, right? Yeah. Um, I think that at that point, if you're Sam Pittman, you have to say like, well, my offense is consistently performing well in that area that I'd be getting the ball anyway. Sure. And, and you know, the Ole Miss defense can't stop anything. And so, uh, you know, I have to put something on my defense and just kind of hope that they're able to force a field goal sometime where we can then score a touchdown or something like that. I don't, I don't know. It just, uh, it just didn't seem like the uh, let this one random odd play decide everything was was the move I would have made. But I don't know what your thoughts are. You know, people go back and forth on when's the right time to go for two um, to win a game. Uh, most people think when you're on the road, you want to do it. Uh, most people think when you're at home, you don't because you have the home field advantage. Um, all that. I, I just thought that the way Arkansas was just – moving pretty easily up and down the field that I just thought with, with the momentum, with how quickly they scored before Ole Miss um, retook the lead and then how quickly they drove down the field to get within a point of tying it and within two of of winning the ball game. um, I just figured the way Kendall Browse coaches, he probably had four or five, two-point conversion plays in his back pocket ready to go. Um, And I think that that was something that he just kind of considered, let's roll the dice. And Sam Pittman said as much in the postgame that he had told the offense that if there was little to no time left, they were going to do it. And I think you might have a better memory than me. I think Ole Miss had already used their final timeout, I I believe. I have to go back Um, and look at I have to go back and look at the graphic to see because it'll show I'm, all the I'm graphic. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Oh, they had one left. They had one yeah. timeout left. Yeah. Um, so that's also a risk is if you you line up for your two-point conversion, Ole Miss could have called a timeout once they see what they line up in to kind of adjust, um, which in that case, I'm sure Arkansas had something else they could have done. But I went back and rewatched the game and watching that final play, it looked like they were trying to work a shovel pass in there and – Ole Miss actually blitzed and disrupted it. And I think Jefferson kind of panicked and just kind of heaved it to someone in the end zone because there were three guys all around each other in the end zone. And I think that was just some eye candy. And they were trying to hit the shovel pass to the running back underneath. And I think with the blitz disrupted the timing. And then it looked like Chance Campbell and AJ Finley were kind of right there. Um, whether intentional or unintentional, if they knew that the shovel pass was coming. But um, I think that's what they were going for and almost did a nice job of just getting in Jefferson's face and creating pressure. But to answer your question, that was a long-winded roundabout way. Um, If I'm coaching Arkansas's offense, I would have gone for two Mm -hmm. just because you've got the hot hand at quarterback. He's got the confidence. Your offense is churning. And I like their matchups on the outside. I honestly thought they were going to try to throw a fade to uh, Traylon Burks and just either he makes a gosh hell of a catch the, the to win the game. Conversion, flag. The two-point conversion fade is the dumbest call ever in the world. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> at that point, I mean, he was manhandling anybody I know. I know. from him. So I think at that point, you just throw it to your best player. Um, 
Yeah, but, but I mean, either that or a back shoulder because the back shoulder is just so hard to defend. So yeah, um, yeah. it was interesting though. I think the shovel pass was probably a good call. Um, but yeah, you're so close and so everything's so compact right there. I was shocked that they didn't do some kind of option or just try to run it right at Ole Miss. I, that's what I kind of thought they would do because they I were actually just, when I saw the way that uh, they were averaging they had, six yards a carry. Yeah, when I saw the way that they had lined up, um, I expected KJ Jefferson to roll left uh, and kind of try to have uh, yeah run pass you know, option. Yeah, like an RPO, but also like potentially what is his name, Rocket Sanders? Uh, yeah, kind of he's like a stud. Is, kind of moves with him in sort of a traditional traditional speed option kind of thing. Um, yeah, and then you've got defended all day. Well, and also then like all of our defenders are over to the right, you know, like you've got yeah, things run, clogged over there. So, right. You run away from the numbers and hope that someone's late and you outnumber them and then it's easy. You win the game. Right. right. Yeah. That, that, that was what I expected them to do, but you know, whatever. I'm glad they did what they did. Um, it was also interesting that, I mean, I guess we got a lot of pressure pretty quickly, but he got so far from the line of scrimmage before even you know making a play because uh, he had to run back immediately i, I kind of expected um, uh, a, a play that involved more of a running threat from kj jefferson to set mm-hmm. up a shovel pass or something like that uh, well that's but, yeah because you know um a friend of the show and uh you know weekly co-host um austin gray who's on our um uh, on our legal gambling council, um, he went back and did a rewatch and he said that almost blitzed twice in the game. <laughs> the first time chance Campbell sacked KJ Jefferson. The second time. I don't think that was a called blitz. Oh, it was delayed. Yeah. But, I, but I, I think it was maybe not even like a called delayed blitz, right? Like it was just a, you see something, you go for it kind of. Okay. May, kind of maybe, play. but either but, way, but maybe not. I don't know. Yeah creating pressure disrupted right. what Jefferson was doing because man, if you go back and do the rewatch, Joe Tessitore at least 39 times talks about how much time Jefferson had to throw. And look, I don't care how good your secondary is. I don't care how good your linebackers are. You can't cover guys for five or six seconds. It's no Alabama I, guys I, don't do it. But I do think it's funny whenever they would say like, he has all sorts of time. I was like, yeah, well, you know, there are three players trying to get to him and there are sure. six players <laughs> stopping those three players from getting to him. Yeah. Um, um, the other time they blitzed was on the two point conversion. And right. They, yeah. So two for two on blitzes. Yeah. Maybe so they, they, maybe they should have blitzed it like, uh, you know, five or six times. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll say this going on the other side of the field on the two point conversion play where, um, Matt Corral was, you know, yeah, you know, Lou Kane kicked in the face. And there was a face mask on it. I, it, it look, it doesn't matter because a face mask is a face mask. I think it was unintentional from the Arkansas guy as he was jumping yeah. to try to knock down the pass, but he, he grabbed Corral's face mask. If you go back and watch, I don't know if you noticed this too. I thought that that play was going to be a throwback to Plumley. Um, because he was, you know, motioning close to the line of scrimmage, and then they rolled. I thought that it was going to be a throwback to Pumley, and if they did do that, there was nobody over there. Uh-huh. Um, maybe that'll be something they bring back out later this year. Um, but 
Um, but since I brought up Plumlee, let's kind of dive right into the offense before yeah. we hit the break and talk defense. I um, and we'll just start here. I thought the way they used Plumlee on Saturday was was perfect. Um, he had one rush for four yards, but um, he also had a couple catches, one big one on the sideline. Um, I thought that it was a nice way of getting him involved with just quick, easy touches, whether by handing it off um, outside of the long catch on the sideline, which was just kind of a scramble drill and a nice job by Plumlee to get upfield and then just a hell of a throw from Corral. I thought that it was nice. I mean, they, they got him the football in very easy, simple ways. That's not too convoluted for him to figure out a route tree or how to, you know, deke a defender to get open. Um, I think they're going to have to use him more because still have the uncertainty of whether Mingo's coming back at all. Um, and then they're just trying to find playmakers over there. Um, Dennis Jackson had a big catch for 10 yards. Jacor Pearson had a couple catches. Chase Rogers had a couple snags to move the chains. I think they, they really need to push for, for tight end or H back or something just to use the middle of the field. But overall, I mean, Corral was 14 of 21. He was pretty surgical. Um, you know, I'm, I mentioned in the in the post game um, column that Braylon Sanders and Dontario Drummond each had two catches apiece, but they were over two you know two hundred something yards and they had two touchdowns. So both of them had when Sanders had a sixty eight yarder and Drummond had a sixty seven yarder. So score from far, literally. Um, but it was, I mean, look as advertised, man, banner day for the offense. Yeah, I mean. I hate to rain on anybody's parade, but this team would be total garbage without Matt Corral. <laughs> I mean, I mean, like, oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, Absolutely. there are still good players. Like, there, are, you know, there would be some running game and all that kind of stuff. But like, he is just able to make so much happen um, that takes a team from what would be probably like I don't know the third or fourth worst team in the SEC to to contending for. You know, some some interesting things like I'm not going to go so far as to say that there's really much hope of making it to Atlanta or anything. I, I actually still predict uh, an eight and four finish, which is how I came into the season. But um, but yeah, I mean, I think that he's he's really fascinating. Your point about Plumley is is an interesting one. I mean, I, I hate to overstate too much because he accounted for 36 yards of offense. Right. But mm-hmm. um I think that this is the first time that we've ever seen Plumlee involved this season in a way that is not just like, you know, Lane Kiffin had mentioned that he likes to try to get Plumlee the ball to get people to stay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, and this wasn't that sort of gimmicky kind of thing, right? Like uh, each play, the the run and the two catches were very much legit plays by Plumlee. Um, I actually thought that he really did some good stuff on those. Um, and it wasn't just like, a, well, you know, the person who was playing his position would get it no matter what anyway. And, you know, didn't really make a difference that it was him. I, I think that he really played good football uh, during that. And, and again, that's only three touches. Uh, and it's not like he had a huge explosive play or anything, but it'd be interesting to see them utilize him a little bit more moving forward. It's, it's fascinating to me that uh, he played he made such a big difference in the Indiana game, uh, the bowl game last year. And then just, and that was with like a week of practicing at receiver. Mm -hmm. And then now that, you know, uh, I guess, I guess there's more competition theoretically at receiver because, uh, you know, they have, they have Jacor Pearson. Um, but it, it seems like 
very little changed. And then suddenly he's like not at all involved, um, which is, is a little bit strange to me. Uh, but again, uh, I don't want to talk too, too long about him. Um, I think that the, the running game is something I would like to go back and look at. I, I noticed, obviously, look, almost ran for 324 yards, but I noticed a lot of very short gains and then, you know, the huge explosive plays. Uh, whereas I think that with Arkansas, there was a good, on their end, there was a good bit more of like reliably six to seven yards. Um, and I don't necessarily remember that being the case for Ole Miss. Uh, I, I know that like Lane Kiffin even made a point of mentioning that there was only, I think, negative six. There were, there were only six yards lost in rushing attempts. So that's awesome, right? You don't want to, you don't want to lose a lot of yardage, but I, I don't think that there were, we were able to consistently pick up six or seven when we wanted it. Um, and in a, in a game where we averaged 6.6, you'd kind of hope to be able to see something like that. Yeah. And like I said, at the top of the show, they very clearly um, had found something on the interior. And, you know, we talked about it last week on our, preview show about how good um the you know the 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 two williams i'm trying to think of a clever way to to talk about them um one of them zach williams i can't remember the other one's name but their edge rushers are really good um and look i mean nick broker got co-offensive lineman of the week in the sec he did a nice job handling one of them um if not both of them if they had moved them around but they were having a ton of success running right at Arkansas. And, you know, I kind of say that a lot, uh, you know, that's how you slow down a pass rush, um, either run right at it or, you know, run a, you know, throw a screen. Um, but they were, I don't know. I mean, once Henry Parrish and Snoop Connor got going, um, I think they just kind of were like, we're, we're just going to ride this. And then once we can really get Arkansas to kind of creep up a little bit at the third level, that's when they went for the big play. And then you saw a lot of, a lot of setups in the first half with a lot of the routes that they were running with Sanders and Drummond on the outside, they were running some in routes, um, a lot of short stuff, and then trying to take the deep shot here and there. But a lot of those routes were turning into double moves or they were running some combo stuff. And you saw it on the one to Drummond where Pearson ran it out and, Corral gave it a pump fake, both guys bit, and then Drummond was just wide open. And then it's hard because of the angle of the camera on the Sanders long touchdown. Um, you couldn't really see what happened, but it was very clearly um, Corral was able to use his eyes, move his shoulders a little bit, and got the guys um, in the secondary for Arkansas to kind of come up. And, you know, it, it only takes a split second to where if you get flat-footed, you know, for half a second, one second, and then the guy's behind you. Um, I thought the offense did a, the, the play calling. I thought Kiffin and Levy did a nice job of just really going with your strength and that's running the football. That's what they want to do. They run to set up the pass. That's, that's how they've operated since they got to Oxford, led the conference in rushing a year ago in yards per game. And um, I just thought that it was just kind of a masterclass in play calling and just kind of, you know, sticking with what works. And then Matt Corral is just, like you said, he's he's good enough to where he can pick his spots. And 14 to 21 for 287, uh, it's pretty damn good. So um, I think he was averaging, I think it was 
yards per attempt or per completion. Um, so they were, you know, trying to score from far if they weren't doing it with the uh, run game. So um, can't give enough credit to the offensive line. Um, they were banged up. Caleb Warren was out. Uh, I thought going back and doing the rewatch, I thought Jordan Rhodes and Cedric Melton did a phenomenal job stepping in at left guard. Um mainly on run plays. Um, there were several times I saw both of them just absolutely mauling people up front. Um, it was pretty impressive to see for two guys that have played sparingly. I don't know how much Cedric Melton has played. I know Jordan Rhodes has gotten in and he's got ACC experience. He's a grad transfer from South Carolina in case folks forgot about him, but Cedric Melton's a guy that, that came in and was impressive and pass blocking, there are some limitations there. Um, Rhodes is more of a guard. Um, and then Melton's just young. So he's just going to, you know, eventually, you know, you would hope get better at pass blocking. But yeah, I mean, I thought that it was just a nice mix of sticking with the run game and sticking to the plan and then using the best quarterback in the country to hurt them downfield. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think that, um, the uh, another I don't want to harp on Matt Corral and how good he is that long, but uh, the going four four of five on fourth down uh, overall as a team is was the difference in the game, right? I mean, third down, Ole Miss actually was only five of fourteen, which is not all that good, and uh, in comparison, Arkansas was seven of thirteen. But look, fourth down matters, and we need to realize that we're no longer a team that's going to treat every scenario as a, as three down territory. And that honestly, more often than not, uh, we will treat scenarios like four, four down territory, which is really interesting and has to be really difficult to play against as a defense. Like even if you, obviously if you're Alabama and you uh, stop us every time, <laughs> then it's not debilitating, but uh you know, when the defense gets one out of five stops, uh, it has to be crushing, right? Because it's like, well, you can't just say like, oh, all we have to do is stop them here, stop them from getting it, uh, because you know that we're going to go for it again. Um, and it just makes it hard to be able to consistently meet the goal of stopping us from getting 10 yards four, to four times in a row. I mean, I think it's pretty it has to be just absolutely just gut wrenching for a defense to get a stop and force a third and or a fourth and medium, or even a fourth and short after, you know, slowing down on this is, you know, high powered offense and how well they're running the football and you get a stop on, you know, a third and four and it's, you know, fourth and two, or, you know, you get an incomplete pass and it's fourth and six and, you know, almost doesn't even, doesn't even check up. And for those that, you know, might still be on the fence about analytics or it might just think it's it's stupid to do it um, because of what happened in the Alabama game. Well, I'll tell you this, you better start to like analytics because one, I can't remember if it was the first one or the second one. I believe it was the second one. There was a fourth down that was kind of iffy and it was in minus territory and almost went forward and got it. And then the next play, Snoop Connor darts untouched for a touchdown. So if you don't trust analytics and you punt it away, that doesn't happen. Um now, I know that's picking out a situation where it worked because there are certainly plenty of situations you can show, well, they went for it here and didn't get it. Um, but, 
yeah, I mean, that's, that's the way they're going to operate. Um, you know, I, I've talked to a couple of people, um, close to the program that, you know, Kiffin has, you know, <laughs> they've made the comparison to Moneyball where, um, there's someone that's on the staff that is the analytics guy, like basically like the, um, Jonah Hill of the staff that has all the numbers, has all the situations broken down, um, percentage wise of, you know, all right, can we get this first down? Can we not get this first down? Um, what's the down and distance normally, um, what's the, what's the, you know, success rate for this down and distance, you know, like they have all of this, like, this isn't just some like, oh, you're playing a video game and we're just winging it. Like, no, 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 this is, this is a very thorough thought out process. Like when, when Kiffin says he has a book, like he has a legitimate book of like situations and tendencies. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's just how they're going to operate. And look, I personally love it. I mean, as someone who loves offense, I'm a little biased with how they treat fourth downs, but I think it's just the way of the future now. I think you, you see more and more college and NFL, people more leaning towards analytics and just really rolling the dice. And, you know, it's an offensive game now. So you got to score your points. Yeah. All right. We're going to take our break here. When we come back, we'll, uh, I guess, begrudgingly talk about the defense. Um, <laughs> well, there were some positives, but more negatives. But we'll, uh, we'll discuss it, and then we'll look ahead to Tennessee. So hang tight, hear from the sponsors, and we'll be right back. It's Zach again. Podcast Rebellion to remind you of our lovely sponsors here at the show. If you like New Orleans inspired cuisine, go see Kelly English and the good folks in Memphis at Second Line or Restaurant Iris for some fantastic food and cocktails. You can also travel down to the coast to Magnolia House in Biloxi at Harris Gulf Coast. Blackjack, craps, slots, Southern cooking, cocktails, what's not to like? All three fantastic establishments part of the Kelly English restaurant group. Good food, good people, good cocktails. It can't be beat. That's Second Line, Restaurant Iris in Memphis, and Magnolia House in Biloxi. Speaking of good food, if you're in Oxford, go see Greg and the good folks at LB's Meat Market, the inaugural sponsor of this year's podcast, on University Avenue, across from Kroger. Celebrate with the best protein for your almost grilling needs with Greg and the rest of the folks there. And be sure to tell them that Red Cup sent you for exclusive deals and promotions. Remember, the Philly combo is back for just $10 right now. And you've got your lunch specials 11 to 3.30, Monday through Friday. That's LB's Meat Market on University, across from Kroger. Arby's is full of shit. LB's has the meats. Speaking of Oxford, if you're looking to get some libations going, be sure to check out Wonderbird Spirits, North Mississippi's first distillery. It's a quick little eight-minute drive south of Oxford on Old Taylor Road, and it's the only spot in the Magnolia State for a true grain-to-glass gin experience. The space is fantastic. Chan and the rest of the guys there are doing some fantastic stuff. Uh, go there, get a tour, do a tasting, or you could do both. Inquire about maybe renting it out for a private event, maybe a anniversary, a wedding reception, a rehearsal dinner, something the place is amazing. That's Wonderbird Spirits, North Mississippi's first distillery in Taylor, Mississippi. And be sure to follow them on Instagram for all their latest updates and uh, 
comings and goings there at Wonderbird. Speaking of libations, if you're in Memphis and you're looking to stock the cooler this year, Old Dominic on South Front Street is your place to go. Just like Wonderbird, you can go there for a tasting, for a tour, or both. And be sure to check out the rooftop bar, which is super awesome, has some great views of downtown Memphis, of the Mississippi River. Uh, you can try their Healing Station High Rye Bourbon, the Memphis Toddy, the Memphis Vodka, or the new Honey Bell Vodka. You can get it all there or at your local package store. So celebrate with that Healing Station bourbon, a very small batch high rye bourbon by the folks at Old Dominic. It's a bold classic whiskey with notes of stone fruit, dark cherry, and just the right amount of spice and heritage that dates back to 1866. You can enjoy it neat or even in your favorite cocktail like an old-fashioned. It's got a mash bill of 52% corn, 44% rye, and 4% malt. Healing Station stands alone in its category of high rye bourbons. So you could do that, or you can enjoy a quick taste of Memphis Toddy before the game this weekend, and then you can wind down with that Healing Station afterwards. So, like we always say, ask your, pa- ask, ask your package store where you can find Healing Station by Old Dominic. And, as always, OD encourages you to share SIP responsibly. And last but certainly not least, if you're in the market for a new vehicle, make it a Clark Ford vehicle. Corey Clark and the rest of the folks in Amory, Mississippi on Highway 25 are committed to finding you a new vehicle today. Be sure to browse their inventory online, request more information about the vehicles, set up a test drive, and inquire about financing all online. If you want to do it a little old school, maybe uh, conversate via telephone, you can give them a call at 662-257-1900 and get in a new Ford today. And we are back here, Podcast Rebellion, recapping Ole Miss's 52-51 win over the Arkansas Razorbacks. All right, Juco, we'll talk defense now. As I mentioned, I need to see if I can get my hands on the yards before contact statistic that was actually um, pretty telling in the Alabama game that Ole Miss was in position more times than not to make plays, whether it was Bryce Young scrambling or Brian Robinson running the football. I don't know. I don't have it handy right now, but um, man, we'll start negative and then we'll work our way towards the positives before we move on to Tennessee. But it was, uh, it was another frustrating day for DJ Durkin and the defense um, gave up 676 total yards. Um, KJ Jefferson, who coming into this game was not super efficient throwing the football. Um, most of his, I guess, success or chunk plays were coming via fades or back shoulder throws to Traylon Burks. Um, I think that, um, it was just more of a, I don't know, just putting a magnifying glass on it. But again, it's just SEC quality depth. This this team is still lacking there. And this staff is doing their best to alleviate that issue with recruiting and transfer portal and, and shifting to a 3-2-6 because they feel better about their secondary players than they do about the front seven. But um, but man, it was uh it was frustrating at times because Arkansas just kind of had their way with the Ole Miss defense on Saturday. Yeah. I think that um, it can be one thing I'll say I, before we get super critical, which 
is deserved, right? Like uh, being critical makes sense. But um, Alabama and Arkansas were going to be the two toughest teams for the three two six to match up against anyway, um, because they're very capable of just pounding it down their throat, and that's what the three two six fails at. Uh, and you know, it's designed to take on more of the spread teams that we'll be seeing at different po- points of the of the season, right? Like Mississippi State is going to be a very different game than Arkansas. And Liberty, of course, it will be a different game. And even Tennessee will be a different game this, this next week. Um, Alabama and Arkansas have an identity of being able to pound it up the middle. And the 3-2-6 doesn't handle that well. But it's really difficult to switch for a two-game season or two games in the season to like no longer running the defense that you've been preparing the entire season to do. Um, I'm not defending it. I actually don't think that switching to the 3-2-6 was a very wise decision uh, overall, but uh, that's I'm just giving them their due that it we could be a little bit over uh, overplaying or overweighting the the opponents that we, that we've actually just faced. Um, that being said, it, it's clear that the team can't get any pressure with the three. Right. And so that's okay. If you're playing against a team that is incapable of picking up, uh, relatively easy completions, uh, reliably, right? Like if you're just playing against somebody who's, totally off when he's not even being pressured, then sure, that's fine. But otherwise, you're just going to continue to see these long, long drives that are drawn out and drawn out and drawn out. And the deep, the, the opposing offense has it for 12 plays and then they score a touchdown. Because the whole, like, keep it all in front of you for eight seconds means that ultimately people are going to get open and then pass plays are completed, right? And so... If the problem with the defense, if the problem with the defense schematically is that you can run against it, and the problem that we're also encountering is that because we never blitz and never get any pressure, anyone can pass against it because you can't defend someone forever. Uh, like no, no corner can stay with a receiver for 20 seconds. Uh, and so then it's like, well, then what is it accomplishing for us, right? Like what... What goals is it helping us meet as a team? And the answer is really nothing at, at the moment. Um, and so, again, like getting back to Alabama and Arkansas are maybe not the greatest measuring sticks because of what they can do up the middle or even just like in the interior running game. And so hopefully over the next few weeks, we'll have a better sense of what the defense can actually do against a team that is not built for that. Uh, but I don't really have all that high of hopes overall for for the unit. Uh, obviously, there are pieces that are interesting. Last year, my big gripe about the defense, there were many, but was like, who's the good player? Who's the good player on the defense? You know, uh, and it wasn't really all that e- easy to tell. Whereas this year, I think it's it's clear that uh, Chance Campbell is good. It's clear that I don't know the safeties: Otis Reese, AJ Finley. Kedron Smith can do some things. I'm not, I'm not ready to say yet they're like destined for the NFL or anything like that. And I think Sam Williams is is playing relatively well. It's just impossible to do anything when he's doubled every single play. But 
I think that it, it's it's easier to see, okay, there are a few components, a few things that make sense. Um, and that wasn't really the case last year. To your point, like a lot of it comes down to they'd be in the right place at the right time to make the play just like they were supposed to. And then four of our defenders would be dragged by their running back an extra four yards. Mm. And it's like, well, then what are you going to do? Like, how can you possibly, you know, Oh, we'll call it so that there'll be a fifth defender who gets on him. You know, like that's, that's, that's an impossible thing. And so some of that is just like, a lot of our players are bad. <laughs> and uh, you know, when you have a, a major lack of talent that can't, consistently tackle a player uh even with help then it's going to be really hard to do anything yeah and i think i'm trying to think of how i can decipher this i mean i feel like you kind of limit what you can do blitz wise when you have six defensive backs on the field unless you're consistently bringing pressure off the edge with the extra defenders that are in the secondary. I think that that's kind of what they're going for with the three, two, six, because at least against Louisville, I thought that they were pretty clever about how they disguise blitzes. Um, and look, I, I don't think one person is going to drastically change how the defense operates, but I do think they miss Jacob Springer a lot. He was extremely active in the Louisville game. He was, creating pressure and or making plays behind the line of scrimmage. I think they missed his ability to get after the quarterback. But well, And Kiff, Kiffin mentioned that in his press conference as well. Yeah. I mean, like that's kind of, I, that is a, that hurts to not have a guy like that with his experience playing a ton of defense for Navy, being an all conference guy there, making a ton of tackles, making a ton of plays. They missed that type of playmaking ability. And I think that that kind of, stresses them thin a little bit because Otis Reese is now having to kind of double dip and cover more than I, I don't know if, if Otis Reese would admit it or the defensive staff would admit it, but they would prefer that he's closer to the line of scrimmage and being more active and run support than out in open space covering receivers. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it really does put them in a bind when they're in the three, two, six, because if you bring both linebackers, there's, you know, unless you're dropping someone there in zone out of the six defensive backs, there's a huge void right there in the middle of the field. And then if you bring one of the linebackers, there's one guy having to cover a ton of space. So you're really having to roll the dice and maybe that's where they're going to have to go. Maybe they're just going to have to go the Todd Grantham route and just blitz until your eyes bleed um, just to try to, you know, we talked about it a lot a couple of years ago with the defense where they had, a ton of athletes that were inexperienced and undersized, but it was just, you know, Hey, just create as much havoc, create as much chaos as possible and just try to get turnovers. Um, I think that's kind of where they're going to have to go from here. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that we, we've talked about this before, not, not on the podcast, but just in general, like defense now is all about like efficiency. Right. So it's, it's, it doesn't matter. Like I don't care when people say, oh, well, we allowed more yards than all but two teams in the country last year. Like that total yards don't matter. Um, but the biggest problems we had last year is we couldn't get off the field on third downs and, uh, you know, or even get to the point where we had third downs. Um, but I think that we have to get to the point where we are causing havoc plays and making stuff 
difficult, right? Like what what will ultimately happen if we blitz more and all that is that we'll give up more chunk plays, right? We'll, we'll give up more chunk yardage uh, and there'll be one-on-ones that we lose on the outsides and they score touchdowns, but like they're scoring touchdowns anyway, you know? Mm-hmm. So you might as well just make it so that, you know, sometimes you pick it off or sometimes like there's just an errant throw that, you know, and then it's third and eight. And then it's like, well, then, you know, we have to somewhat like our chances on third and eight uh, to be able to, to hold the team. Um, I think that one thing that's a little bit weird uh, about, about the defensive play calling so far is that we've put a lot of resources into having spies for the quarterbacks. Um, like Chance Campbell, you know, to your point earlier, is almost always employed to spy the quarterback when he's out there. And um, that's fine. Uh, but the, no quarterback has made us pay when we have not done that, right? KJ Jefferson made us pay even when we did it. So right. it's, not, it's not like we've had a time where we try to just blitz that dude a lot, you know, and like a game where he's coming. And then the opposing quarterback just runs like crazy against us and we have to scrap it. Like we have never seen that. The only thing we've seen is it's worked in stopping some quarterbacks from being able to achieve that, right? Malik Cunningham, especially. But it did not work against KJ Jefferson. And what did we sacrifice by not getting him off his game with more blitzes? We sacrifice, I mean, like, could it have been worse for him? Like he had, he had 85 yards. He only rushed for 4.3 yards per carry. But I, mean, I think we all know that he sort of devastated on the ground um, and, and really kept them in the game. And, and kudos to that dude. I, I know that he really wanted to come to Ole Miss and that whole narrative is very played, but, Kudos to him. I think that he played a, a really solid game. Um, but yeah, I just I just keep coming back to this. Like, does the defense have an objective other than get the offense off the field? Right. Like, is it is it? Hey, we're gonna try to utilize this great aspect of our team or like something we do well, and try to do this, whatever those things are. It doesn't seem like there's anything. It's just like, we're just going to go out there and we're going to hope that the offense messes up. And that's not really a way to play defense, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's certainly not a way to play when you're staring down the barrel of an SEC schedule. A lot is on the line for the goals that you have for this season. Um, But look, I mean, I just think with the personnel that they have that, they're going to have to try to make it work. I well, think exactly. Any, yeah. No, I mean, I think I, I, if but, anything, they're just going to have to just be like, you know what, we're going to have to leave voids and we're just going to have to try to create pressure. And just, that's precisely what they should do because yeah, just hope the, someone makes a mistake. The defense that we're running right now is predicated on having good players and look like some of them are good, I, whatever. Like I'm, I, I'm not saying that all the entire defense sucks, but obviously like you look at, look, Arkansas had 300, 676 yards of offense. And I just finished saying that total yards don't matter as much, but 676, that is bad, no matter what. Yeah. Uh, and so, yes, 
there are bad players that start on the on the defense. I'll say and I'll say the only time six seventy six isn't bad is when you win and when you win in a national title game because you won a national title. So who cares? Sure, who but, cares? Yeah, but, exactly. But when it's this point in the season, it's bad. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the keep it keep everything in front of you rush three it works well if you have five stars all over the place right like mm-hmm. they can make a consistent play those three down linemen can get pressure sometimes and you know like that's gonna work but we don't we have to try to make stuff happen and we're not trying to make anything happen yeah all right i think we're past the point of speaking into existence for the defense to get better very quickly. Um, so we'll move on to talk Tennessee here. Um, Tennessee coming off of a 25 point win over South Carolina, it's two in a row for the volunteers. Um, after losing to Florida 38, 14, a couple of weeks ago, balls are kind of feeling themselves now after two sec wins, albeit it's against two very bad sec teams right now i would say missouri's kind of teetering on the edge of being not very good and then south carolina is just in year one of a first year head coach and they just don't really have anything offensively to help out luke doty but um it appears that tennessee has found their quarterback hendon hooker has uh been really impressive the last two weeks he's thrown for um six touchdowns i believe he's over 400 yards last two games so he's spreading the ball around He's a threat to run the football. Uh, Ty and Evans is kind of starting to shape into an SEC running back for them. Uh, Velas Jones is a good receiver. Um, they've got some holes here and there. And Josh Heupel's offense, although it might be starting to round out into shape here in year one, I still think that this one is a bit of a toss-up. You want to give the edge to Tennessee because it's at home. I don't think that there's any kind of revenge factor here. None of these players know anything about Lane Kiffin's one year in Knoxville. If anything, the only revenge aspect will just be some fans that are holding a stupid grudge against Lane Kiffin for taking his dream job. Um, Well, and you have to think also, I think, you know, Josh Heupel and uh, Jeff Levy were coached together at UCF, right? Yeah, sure. Same same staff. So they probably like, you know, have some – some relative uh friendship and so you know it's probably not nearly as as personal for any of the coaches involved i mean i guess maybe kiffin but kiffin it's not like he really either was dicked over by tennessee or dicked them over i mean i guess they would argue he dicked them over but he left them in a much better situation even a year after signing with or coaching for them than than he walked into and it's not his fault you know that they made a terrible coaching hire right after him yeah, and I mean, right now, um, if I pull it up, at the while, line open. While you're pu- okay, go ahead. go ahead. Well, I was going to say, while you're pulling that up, I mean, uh, I know a lot of people have sort of alluded to the idea that Ole Miss should hit the transfer portal for quarterbacks or a quarterback in the offseason, and I, I agree. Uh, we could do a lot worse than Tennessee did with Hendon Hooker. That was a that was a pretty pretty decent acquisition. I mean, he even yeah. played well against Florida. Uh, I mean, it, he didn't play mm-hmm. amazingly against Florida, but you know, he he did his job. 
I think that he is not uh, not super duper scary to the SEC, but he could be quite scary to the Ole Miss defense. Yeah, Especially sure. because of the running threat that he is. Yeah, because he seems to be pretty consistent with making plays when things break down or he has to get outside the pocket. Um, and again, it, honestly, I don't want to dwell on it, but it comes back to the defense just making, just finishing plays because it does you no good if they're there at the line of scrimmage and they completely whiff on a sack or they're there on a third and eight when the quarterback gets out the pocket and you make the stop to, you know, force a fourth and five. Like it, it does you no good if they don't make the stop or they don't make right. the tackle. So that right. has to be a point of emphasis in practice this week because you know that Josh Heupel saw what K.J. Jefferson did and they're going to try to do some of the same things to stress the defense. Um, yeah, I mean, I think this is an interesting matchup. Um, Odd Shark has a predicted score of 45-32 Ole Miss. Um, I think it'll be closer than that. Yeah. And now, and now maybe that's just a little bit of a knee jerk a week after Ole Miss gives up damn near 700 yards, but is it fool's gold? Is Tennessee actually legitimate on offense or is it just a product of playing two bad teams? Um, I did look at um, a friend of mine pointed this statistic out a friend of the show, Justin Kemp, shout out to him. Um, he shared a very interesting tidbit about the Tennessee offense and how bad they've been in the second half. Um, so first half, the offense has been outstanding. They've been churning, just gobbling up yards and points, but second half scoring against SEC opponents right now, zero against Florida, 17 against Missouri and only seven against South Carolina. So could it be running out of gas, hitting a wall, or maybe dialing it back a little bit because the game was sort of in hand. I mean, it certainly wasn't the case against Florida because they've been losing maybe against Missouri because they put up so many points. Maybe South Carolina, they're trying to maybe pull the pull the dog, you know, call the dogs off a little bit to get ready for the Ole Miss game. I don't know, but you can't really look away from that number right there. Only seven points in the second half against South Carolina. So it's going to be a tough test for their defense that has some holes up front. And I think that if you're Snoop Connor, you're Henry Parrish, and you're this offensive line, after just getting bashed after the Alabama game and how poorly they played, um, I think they're probably licking their proverbial chops heading into this game where they really want to get a piece of that defensive line in Knoxville and to try to establish the run again. Yeah. I, I, I'm not concerned about our offensive course uh, against, against Tennessee, but as we're going to say every single game for the rest of the year, I'm not concerned about our offense, but our defense could be in trouble. Uh and I, it's it's so frustrating um, that that we're going to continuously say that uh, because again we can't stop either the pass or the run. Um, so it's not as if like there will be a time we encounter a matchup and say like oh the defense matches up well against this team because blah 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 blah. That is that is not going to happen. It's just there could be a time where the defense plays against an opponent that's so bad that it won't matter that they're bad. <laughs> like mm. I'm not concerned to get about the Vanderbilt offense against our defense. Uh, sure. But Tennessee, I mean, I, what the, you just, you just quoted a 13 point spread that was predicted. Is that right? Yeah. 45.3 yeah. 
to 32.9 is what their predicted score is. So that means that Ole Miss would have to score. I mean, there are many ways you could do this, right? But in, in theory, they had to score two more touchdowns than, than Tennessee did. Uh, and Which is not all that crazy. It, it's not, right? Like, but the only way that really happens based on the current path, right, is that Ole Miss scores like every time it scores a touchdown, like every time it has the ball and Tennessee is stopped twice, right? Like we don't ever, we wouldn't ever expect the defense to stop Tennessee five or six times in the game, would we? Oh, yeah, that was, that kind of leads into what my next question for you was going to be. Do you think it's worse for the offense to have the pressure on them to score constantly or for the defense to feel like they have to get stops constantly? And maybe those are, you know, mutually exclusive there. Maybe it's kind of the same thing. But I feel like with the defense struggling to get stops and to keep people out of the end zone, I don't think that affects what Jeff Levy and Matt Corral are doing. I really don't because you could see it on because Saturday. Because it's Matt Corral. Because it's Matt Corral, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think, think that you could see, and I don't mean to cut you off before you answer, but I was going to say, like, the play calling never really changed on Saturday, even when it looked like Ole Miss was on the ropes. They kind of right. they, they stuck to what was working, and they the plan stayed the same. They ran the football, and they took their shots when they had them. And I think that that – like you said, it certainly helps the offense and then some to have number two under center. Yeah, I, I think that what, what do you see? Um, but, so let me answer your question. So you said, do you think that it's uh, harder when everything rests on the offense versus everything resting on the defense? And I think that in general, you would want to have a really great defense and an offense that wasn't especially great because they could kind of get some points. But if your defense is amazing, then, you know, they'll be able to stop it. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe not with like modern college football, but if we could get to the point where we had literally an elite, fantastic, unbelievable defense and a, you know, vanilla, not a super good, but adequate offense, that that's a pretty good spot to be in. But I think that, Right now, we're in this really unique situation where Matt Corral is so incredible and so good and so reliable that the opposing offense can feel like we have to score every time, mm-hmm. you know, because Ole Miss's offense is going to score. And so I think that can put a lot of pressure. Now, it didn't this past week. It didn't the week before. But I think that it, it can put a lot of pressure on opposing offenses to feel like they have to make big plays and that could lead to big negative plays. Yeah. And I think it's, I think the answer is defense. I mean, I think it's put so much more stress on the defense having to make plays because for the most part, I mean, look on Saturday, almost put together some really long drives. I'd have to go back and look at the drive chart, but the offense can score quickly when they want to more times than not defense is probably going to be out there longer, putting more stress on them to stay on the field and, you know, shuffle in bodies left and right to keep people fresh. But I mean, I, I think an Ole Miss fan would feel far more comfortable with the offense having to respond or the offense having to win the game because of the equalizer of not only having the best quarterback in the country, but you also have the run game 
I mean, I think right now, I don't think Ole Miss fans would trade anybody's backfield for what they have with Henry Parrish and Snoop Connor. Um, the offensive line has responded. I think they, I, I would venture to guess that that, that week of practice and the film sessions after the Alabama game weren't kind. So, um, you know, they, they were kind of, you know, put on the spot, like, Hey, we, we got to respond. And Hey, by the way, we're playing a top 15 SEC team that is playing as good as anybody and has a top 10 defense and they responded. So you got to give credit to them, but yeah, it's a, it's a difficult question. I think it just kind of depends on, you know, what your flavor is in terms of do you prefer offense or defense? But yeah, I mean, I, I think, Ole Miss fans probably feel much better if the game's on the line and you have the football in Matt Corral's hands as opposed to how it was on Saturday when the defense had to come up big. I don't think there was anyone that wasn't about to, you know, <laughs> put their lunch on somebody in front of them in the stands. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, well, I think we about covered it. We, we, uh, we, we hit pretty much everything. We, uh, we, we talked all the highs for the offense and all the lows for the defense, and we look ahead to Tennessee. Um, that's going to do it for this episode of Podcast Rebellion. We'll have plenty of coverage for this week's game in Knoxville at redcuprebellion.com. We'll have our preview show, gambling show this week, so stay, uh, stay on the lookout for that as we turn the page to uh, the Tennessee Vols. Um, Ole Miss is now back up top 15 again. Um, Tennessee's not in the polls, but it'll be a, it'll be a doozy. So, um, for Juco, I'm Zach. This has been Podcast Rebellion. Thank y'all for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. We out. <laughs>